Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of Before the Mass podcast. I'm your host, Chris Eaton. We're sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. And our first guest this week is Captain Eric Furman. He's the fleet captain for Save the Bay, which is an environmental advocacy and educational group here in Rhode Island. And Eric and I are going to share some old stories and learn a little bit more about what Save the Bay does. So have a listen. Hope you enjoy. I'm here with Captain Eric Furman from Save the Bay, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his role and Save the Bay's mission. Well, hey, Chris. Thanks for having me here. Um, So, uh, as Chris said, I'm the uh, lead captain or fleet captain for Save the Bay, uh, which uh, basically means that I'm in charge of uh, all of our water assets. Uh, I drive our three uh, uh, Coast Guard inspected vessels, and uh, uh, I'm part of the uh, budgeting and maintenance of of all of our other on-the-water stuff. So you you have three boats? We have three inspected vessels. Uh, We currently have uh, two two center consoles, which belong to our uh, bay keepers, uh, our water keepers. Uh, And uh, that number has gone up and down a little bit, uh, depending on what we're up to at the time. Uh, but currently we have uh, uh, five boats with engines, uh, about uh, 10 or 12 canoes, and another uh, uh, 10 or more kayaks. So uh, a fair number of things out there. Now the most visible thing I think people think of when they think of Save the Bay are the seal watches and the swim. But there's really a lot more to it, isn't there? There, there is. Uh, we've been around now for, uh, we're coming up on uh, year 50. Uh, 50 so, years. Yep. Wow. Yep. And uh, that'll be, uh, that anniversary will happen just a couple of years now, uh, in uh, uh, 2020. Uh, so, uh, uh, we of course were founded as an environmental advocacy organization, mostly uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, the siting of a number of uh, energy infrastructure uh, projects here in Narragansett Bay. Uh, at that point in time, the bay was kind of just losing the Navy, uh, so there wasn't a lot of thought going into where should we go from here. So uh, a number of uh, uh, oil uh, uh, terminals were cited uh, for potential construction in the bay, uh, a coal gasification plant, and a uh, nuclear power plant were all possible for the bay bunch of uh, people thought those were not necessarily good ideas. They didn't want Narragansett Bay turning into the uh, uh, same as Galveston or Houston. So uh, they fought those projects. And I think we're really lucky that uh, uh, we were able to stop them. So uh, uh, the bay today is a completely different place than it could have been. All right. What are some of the biggest challenges that Save the Bay faces, or you? Currently? Well, as, as always with the... Uh, um, uh, with a nonprofit, uh, you're facing small budgets and you're trying to do a lot of big missions. Um, we uh, currently, are, of course, still have our advocacy department, which uh, works uh, uh, up on Smith Hill uh, in Rhode Island, but we also work with the uh, uh, Massachusetts uh, government, the Connecticut government, and the federal government. Um, we have uh, 
a, a team of restoration uh, ecologists who uh, are working on trying to bring our salt marshes uh, uh, back from what they were. Unfortunately, with climate change and rising sea levels, we're finding a lot of the work that we've done over the last 20 years is actually just getting submerged. Uh, oh, wow. But, uh, uh, and beyond that, uh, I work for the education department primarily. Uh, we see some, about 12,000 kids a year uh, taking them out on the water uh, on our boats. We see them in their classrooms. We see them on shorelines. Uh, so very busy. So you're educating them at a young age. Trying to. Uh, trying to tie, uh, tie their school education in uh, in a concrete way with what's going on in the uh, environment around them, uh, but also uh, really trying to uh, augment their uh, STEAM education. Um, that's a word we hear a lot lately. That's a, it's, it's a good buzzword, yeah. Um, but all of that takes a lot of money. Um, so the, uh, the swim is our biggest fundraiser, um, but it's also one of the biggest visible things of our mission. Uh, when that swim started over 40 years ago, uh, people were getting out of the water with tarballs on them. Oh dear. Today, we got a clean bay that, you know, the worst they're going to run into is uh, jellyfish. So, uh, how many participants do you get uh, for that We swim? generally have somewhere in the, uh, uh, 375 to 450 range. Wow. Uh, depending on the year and, and what time the tide dictates And each swimmer start. needs a spotter. Each swimmer, uh, if you haven't uh, participated before, um, uh, you may be required to have a spotter. All right. Um, but uh, there's most of our swimmers now don't have spotters, and they're surrounded by just our safety team. Oh, good. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, just for those who don't know, the swim begins begins right uh, right at. Uh, the beach uh, below the Naval War College. Oh, right. Uh, yep. And then swims across to Potter Cove, uh, getting out right uh, right near the toll booths in, in Jamestown. Right. Uh, grand total is uh, 1.7 nautical miles, two statute miles. And is this time more for shipping when they have the, they, when they schedule the swim, or is it are currents factored in? Current current is the biggest factor. Current is. Um, so. Uh, Generally, I try to schedule it uh, just as the ebb is ending and at the very beginning of the flood. So uh, we're looking at the time of smallest current and uh, uh, what, as the current is increasing, you want to have that being a flood current. So that so if you're going to get set anywhere, you're getting You're not going to get set under the bridge. Yeah, you're going um, in, in the bay. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and it actually helps push people around Taylor Point there um, uh, with that flood current. So... Uh, that's generally what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I'm also looking for, of course, uh, a morning because mm-hmm. we all know what the sea breeze does here. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, morning, of course, is also going to be a lot more helpful for traffic because uh, we don't want to tie up the bay too badly. A couple hours, I, fig- I think we're, uh, we're entitled to it. Have, but... have you ever been really beset by fog? Uh, luckily, fog... Oh. Although has threatened, has not uh, ever ever made us uh, postpone or uh, or cancel the event. <laughs> Before this, because 
Eric and I know have known each other for a long time. Very long time. You worked primarily on chartered sailing vessels, and the clientele, I'm guessing, is a bit different than the kids you take out for oh, the It's a little bit. Sometimes, <laughs> they, sometimes they behave the same. Um, the, uh, no, I, uh, uh, prior to uh, uh, joining Save the Bay, I had been working in uh, Newport Harbor on a number of our uh, classic, uh, classic yachts that did day charter work, uh, including a big uh, fife catch named Isabel and... Uh, then uh, later, the uh, uh, one of the twelve meters. Although I sailed on most of the twelve meters, uh, I, I think I've sailed time. on a handful as well. Uh, yes, yeah. I think I dragged you along <laughs> for for quite a few. When you got to the new job at Save the Bay, which is how many years ago? I joined uh, with Save the Bay in two thousand one. Wow, that's as long as I've been married. Yeah, well, that's, that's good for both. <laughs> um, what, what's been the most unexpected? thing about the Save the Bay job that you didn't anticipate coming into it? You know, I, I think that uh, it was the first powerboat job that I'd ever had. So I expected to be there for a few years, kind of get tired of it, do my thing, uh, and then move on. But uh, I learned that every day is different. Uh, every class is different. And it's just been an incredibly rewarding job that always keeps me on my toes. But, uh, but just really keeps. I right. keep getting back, and it's just. I I really don't see myself going anywhere in the near future. Right. Yeah. I, there used to be that big divide. It may still exist in some people's mind: power boaters versus sailboaters. But particularly in Newport Harbor, I found that we have a lot of big people with big yachts that have a power boat or a sport fishing boat because they have the time and the money and the resources. And they yeah. enjoy both. I, I think uh, I think a lot of the a lot of the barriers between the two have been knocked down. For one thing, seems like sailboats, uh, especially recreational sailboats, have just kept getting bigger and bigger engines. So they're practically as uh, <laughs> uh, practically power boats anyway. But uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, especially as they've gotten a little older, have uh, have liked the switch into right. power. Um, but uh, uh, but I still miss. Miss sailing every day. What's the, uh, assuming this is probably the, one of the best jobs you've had on the water, what, what's the best and the worst job you've had working on the water? Oh, I think uh, every boat has its best and worst <laughs> moments. Right. Um, Good answer. There are, uh, uh, every boat has some, some great things about it. Every boat has some some uh, some not so great things, and there are just moments that pop up uh, on every boat that you really wish you had. Uh, you, or you like to have in your rear view mirror, right? But, uh, and there's also just fantastic times on every boat that I've worked on. Okay, now this is good for sailors. If you could travel in time, when and where would you go? Mm, that's a good question. I think that I would. Uh, End up uh, working some coastal schooner uh, in the I 18, knew you were gonna go 80s, in that 1890s, just probably right here in New England because it's there is uh, there's no better place that I've ever sailed. Now I'm not a world traveler, but I get everything I want right here. I thought you were gonna answer along those lines because I do remember a conversation. I think. You and I had possibly with another captain of local character, perhaps, uh, over a point or more than one, and we all decided that we were born a century too late. 
yes, well, I, I think most of us have gone that way. Um, you know, there, there, there's those there, there's those that want to be pirates, but I just want to uh, 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 haul cargo for a living. I guess. Is there anyone that really influenced you or was a, a draw to get you out on the water? Is there anyone that sort of you looked up to and said, "I want to follow in that person's steps." There's been a number of of people who I have looked to as having. I think when I was younger, I thought that they they were the the perfect captain or perfect sailor. Um, as I've gotten older, I've realized that none of them were perfect, but all of them had some really really good qualities. Uh, uh, maybe I could build a perfect captain out of all of them, but. Uh, uh, but no, none of them were perfect, but I've had a lot of great mentors. That's actually a good segue into one of my emergency questions. Uh-oh. Um, who would you rather be stuck offshore with in a storm? Russell Crowe or Kurt Russell? Ooh. Now, Kurt, Russell Crowe was in Master and Commander and Noah, while Kurt Russell was Captain Ron and Overboard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Captain Ron... He did learn a lot at the helm of the Sarah, so that's all I'm saying. Props for knowing the name of that boat. <laughs> well, no, no, that was the Saratoga, remember. Cause, the Sarah. Yeah, the Sarah. Yeah. That's right, that's right. He was referencing yeah. the... Yes. When, I, when I, I learned how to dock the Sarah. Mm. Well, that, since you brought up trivia, I'm going to go to trivia. Who was the... Who was the Cunningham name for? <sighs> the Cunningham. I don't actually know who the Cunningham was named after. I suspect it was someone named Cunningham, but Briggs. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. So, I had to look that up. I didn't. I didn't. Know yeah, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What was your first boat? My first professional boat was a schooner up in Camden, now known as the Grace Bailey. She was a. Uh, uh, an old uh, cargo schooner that uh, was uh, was converted to uh, being one of the six-day windjammer cruise fleet. And uh, the, so she had hauled cargo. She was originally built in Patchogue, Long Island in 1882. Uh, and I got on her in, I believe it was 1985. Wow. Yeah. Wouldn't you were still in college then? I was in college, yeah. It was a summer job. So I did the, the main schooners as uh, my summer job for four years in college. And then, uh, uh, and then of course, graduated from college in the middle of uh, a recession. So there were no right. jobs available. Yeah, I did so, that too. Yeah. yeah. And I, I timed that way too. I think if you look at uh, uh, the marine industry, you'll find that there are just kind of large groups of almost like year classes where you'll go and find this block of people who are about the same age and got into it often because that was their job when the economy turned bad and then they didn't get out when the economy turned good no no No. we're stuck at that point (laughs) but that's not necessarily a bad thing not necessarily um you've got some really well-educated boat captains out there yep Yep. Um, speaking of that Paper charts or plotter for you? Ooh, that's a toughie because I have to say I have been using a plotter for a long time. Really? Now. Um, when I pull out a paper chart, it takes 
It takes me a few minutes. I'm not as fast as I used to be. Um, but both legally and morally, there are paper charts on all of my boats. Absolutely. And I will certainly always go to the paper chart. And I do get to use them every day because we teach kids off the paper chart. Well, this will make you feel old, but we recently had a young guy come into the store, and we, I got to talking with him. And it turns out he teaches celestial navigation at the Naval War College. They did go back to teaching celestial, but the scary part was he was only twenty-five years old. Well, but he was—he was, he was he said math was his thing, and that's how we got into it. And of course, he was a naval officer as well. Yeah, I, I can't tell you the last time my uh, sextant came out of its case. It was quite a <laughs> while ago. Beer or wine? Well, I'm a, uh, you know, I, I, I believe in all things, um, but uh, if I had to give up one, I would give up the wine. I gotta say, there's one thing that I think I got from you. If I didn't, I apologize, but when I get back to the mooring after a sail, or anything, put the whole boat away. Sails, covers, lines coiled. Before you even, lips even touch that beer. That's and that it. was a, a trick that I think you had on Isabel. And when you're dealing with sails that weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds, it and made sense. They don't, they don't get lighter the <laughs> no. more beers that you have. No, no, no. I, mean, it, I think you're more motivated. It, motivation is uh, often a good thing. And uh, motivation to, to get to that first beer is a good, strong factor to getting a boat put away quick and efficiently. <laughs> Do you know the original name of the trophy now known as the America's Cup? Oh, I do. But, oh, it's going to have to... Ooh, I'm going to have to dig deep into the... We can come back to that. Yeah. Hmm. All right, next. Really? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> it was called the 100-pound cup. The 100-pound cup. Yeah, I want to call it like the... That was a monetary Charlotte. value, not a weight. Yes. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you ever run aground? Well, I think uh, uh, most uh, experienced sailors will tell you that um, they've never run aground, but they may have touched bottom. Right. Soft grounding. Yeah. May have touched bottom. <laughs> okay, now this section I like to call, is it necessary? We've all been around boats and and boat shows and boat products, every now and then something comes out and it just leaves you scratching your head like something that, I don't know, adjusts fenders for you automatically as opposed to learning to tie the proper knot. Um, this one came across our desk recently. It It's called a locator beacon and it comes packaged with a little daytime distress flag and in their promotional brochure, they claim that it satisfies Coast Guard regulations for both day and night visual distress signals. And I can kind of see the day with the day shape, the flag part, but to say that it replaces flares is interesting. It's it's essentially, because you can't see it, this is a podcast, it's a handheld, what looks like a flashlight with a bit of floaty bit around it, and it emits a SOS signal. There's no there's no electronic signal like an EPIRB might emit. It's just a, a light so, on a so stick. It's, it's there to replace the visual... Uh, the visual uh, signal requirements uh, for flares uh, and smoke. Um, so, uh, to me, it looks like an interesting product um, and certainly one that might uh, 
uh, being a, a good addition because exactly. it's electronic and it's waterproof. It's going to work in the water. So if you're in the water away from your boat, you can't hold a flare very well. No. Um, so but in that fire case, yeah. it would be good. Yeah. Um, and I think this is more taking the place of uh, uh, handheld flares and handheld smoke. Um, so obviously it's not going to get any any altitude to it, so you're not going to be able to see it too too well that way. Um, it is a, a very high-intensity light, so it's, it's definitely going to show up. However, a um, couple of things that I would uh, uh, still prefer to... Uh, uh, to go to the good old-fashioned flare uh, methodology is, uh, uh, for one thing, that thing's not going to show up on anybody's forward-looking infrared. No. Uh, infrared. And that is how the Coast Guard looks for people, really? even during daylight. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Certainly at night. Right. Um, so you're getting rid of a very big uh, uh, infrared emitter. Um so I would, uh, that would be one big strike against it. Um, so I suppose the best way to pitch it would be, it, it's something you could add to your tool chest, but you can you add it to your rely tool on chest, it solely. But I certainly would still carry my full, full flare kit. Um, and it's not going to give off smoke. And <laughs> smoke is really easy to spot. Yeah. And you can follow that smoke back to its origin. Um, so I would say that, uh, could it be a useful addition? Yes. Is it really going to replace anything? Uh, I would say no. It might meet the letter of the law, but uh, for me, I, I would I would not say that that does anything to. I, I did a little research on this before our chat, and I I did find that some people had taken this a little too seriously, or at least they had been pitched it in a, in a marine chandlery, and. Their flyers had expired, so they'd removed them from the boat, and they had that on board. And the Coast Guard still was not satisfied uh, when they got boarded. It, this person very uh, articulately commented on a blog about the importance, and he did get a little bit of a write-up for not having a, an aerial. Um, that could have been the size of his boat, too. Could have been the size of his boat and where he was. Uh, uh, I, I, though I can easily quote chapter and verse of... Uh, uh, small passenger vessel uh, inspected small passenger vessel regulations. I actually don't know what the exact rules for commer or for non-commercial recreational uh, vessels uh, are at this point in time. I always go by my rule of thumb is I would put the same equipment on them that I put on a small passenger vessel, wow. um, right. which actually doesn't include until you get offshore. It doesn't include anything that's aerial. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I think aerials are a very good idea. But uh, but again, I know so. from working in a shop that people absolutely hate buying flares, and we hate ordering them. We everyone orders the minimum because they all come with expiration dates like milk. It's um, and yeah, it, very few people use them. It, it is, and uh, if you're but, if well, when you need it, anyone is 
like me, you have a huge backlog of expired flares that you keep saying that you're going to organize a uh, training session for and burn them all off, but you never get around okay. to arranging the training session. And I think session. that's about the only really good way to dispose the, of them, is, is through a training session. It really is. Uh, you can't throw them away. They are a hazard uh, mm-hmm. and can cause real problems in uh, uh, landfills and, uh, and waste uh, management. Um, really a no a no good thing there. Uh, your local fire department might very begrudgingly take them off your hands, but really the best way would be to burn them. And since all of us probably need training doing that, you don't want your first time lighting off a flare to be when no. you need to light off a flare. Um, it's probably a good idea that we get into the habit of it, and it's actually something I would love to see yacht clubs and uh, harbor masters and uh, other organizations get together and have specific days throughout the course of a season where people can get together and burn off their old flares. I remember years ago, I think it was probably 20 years ago, the, it was probably a safety at sea seminar, but we all walked over from the Marriott in Newport over to Goat Island and people had brought flares, and they had boxes of them, expired flares, and everyone, it was Coast Guard sanctioned, and everyone shot them off, and uh, it was impressive to see, particularly the parachute flares, the Solus ones, they, they really got up there and traveled. Yeah, usually the only time you see those is on the 4th of July, so. Yeah, which is not legal. Not, and also not a good time to get into distress. I, I, I highly recommend not doing anything silly on the 4th of July. Well, that that sort of ties in with my next question, which is, as you work in an environmental advocacy group, uh, boating is generally not the most environmentally friendly activity from the building of the boat right on through to its final days. And I was just wondering if you thought that the at least the recreational industry does enough to promote beyond the sort of surface you know, don't pump out into the harbor. Uh, do they do enough stewardship? Uh, we can all do more. Uh, every one of us uh, uh, to promote green boating uh, and that sort of thing. Um, there are a lot of great steps that we can take. Um, obviously, fiberglass boats, uh, aluminum boats, all of those things have a, a pretty big carbon and, and environmental footprint. But they also last for a very long time. So that footprint is spread out over a pretty long period. However, every single thing that we do on board that boat can have an impact on the uh, water around us. You mentioned pump-outs. Since Rhode Island has gone to a zero discharge, uh, water quality in all of our harbors has increased dramatically. Uh, Some harbors are doing better at their zero discharge than others. Uh, But if you look at uh, uh, New Harbor in Block Island, uh, 25 years ago, you would never have thought to go swimming in there. I remember that. I think that was the first one that that went completely, and it was a good uh, example and a good place to start because of the nature of New Harbor. Yeah, yeah, it uh, it really was. Um, so that's a huge thing. I, I know, and I was just as bad about it uh, myself. I would always point to the cities up, uh, up the bay and say, well, geez, they're putting in so much. My little bit really can't, uh, can't be contributing. Mm-hmm. 
believe it or not, my little bit was probably doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And also, over the last 20 years, incredible strides have been made uh, in our sewage treatment plants up in uh, the upper part of the bay to the point where uh, right up into the upper Providence River, the fishable, swimmable line is going to be moved. It's going to be right up there, right on the, really right up into uh, uh, just before the Providence Harbor itself. Um, so that puts the onus on us, yeah, on us boaters. We really have to <clears throat> clean up our... Yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's easy, but... The infrastructure needs to be there. There needs to be pump-out boats. There, it needs to be easy. Uh, and that's something that we need uh, our municipalities and our state to help us with. Because uh, uh, that sort of thing, I, I really think, should be part of the, the landscape of if you're going to have a harbor that you're going to make some economic benefit from, that you have to have an infrastructure to back it up. Yeah, I remember... In the early days, people always used to use the excuse that there was no place to pump out, um, and things gradually got better, and I think there were probably federal grants or something that, that helped that out. It's very, it seems to me very good in Newport. You, you hear Billy on the radio and the pump-out boat. Um, he's accessible, and also when you fuel up, most of the places have the thing working, the, the pump-out at the dock working. I can remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, you'd hear people constantly say that that marina or this marina, oh, it's not working. Now, I don't know if that was laziness on the part of the dock crew. Nobody wanted to do it. But it seemed like the machines were always broken down, and now we don't have that problem. I think it's gotten a lot better, um, and I think people are now expecting to have to pump out. Uh, And with that expectation, I think, uh, comes... Puts the onus on the marinas to make sure that their stuff is functioning. Uh, that's enough talk about shit. Yeah. <laughs> if Everybody you, poops. Uh-huh. That's right. If you had to recruit one person to help you build a shed, would you choose a Doctor Who or a James Bond? And which one? Ooh. Do, do I get a Doctor or a, or, a, or, a, or a Bond? You can choose either. Hmm. You know... You gotta always go with the guy who has a sonic screwdriver. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. 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 Who do you like best as Doctor Who? I think David Tennant is my favorite doctor. Um right he, he's he's he had all he had all the things going for it. I'm interested to see what they do with the new doctor though. It's yeah. gonna be I haven't seen it. it. It'll be soon and it'll be our first woman doctor. Oh, that's right. Yes. Speaking of women, do you know who the first woman to sail single-handedly around the world was? I bet she was French. Ooh. Very good guess, but no. Oh! But you're on the right... You're on the right uh, continent side. I'm on the right continent. (laughs) Uh, uh, Offhand, no, I don't, but... uh, 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 It's an English woman named Naomi James. Naomi James. All right. But that must have been in the late 60s, early 70s? I think it was in the 70s. I'd have to look that yeah. up. Yeah. Let's see. Another emergency question. All right. What items or item are always in your gear bag? Now, you, you run the same, pretty much the same boats, but if you're asked to sort of 
you know, come on, we got a delivery, we got a jump. Uh, you grab your gear bag. What item your, is go what to? Item is always going to come with me. Hmm. It's a good question. Um. Uh, I, I'm want to say I'll always bring my knife with me, but I often forget my knife. Uh, but uh, what's the what's the most important tool? <sighs> hmm. I, I'm. I like I the knife. The, I think the knife's the good. knife's good. You know? but you always got to remember to put it on. But it's yeah. nice to have a knife. I currently have a, a nice little Gerber tool oh, yeah. that I really think I could build almost anything with that one tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those those when those came out, starting I guess with the leather man, they really they took the world by storm. Everyone had rigging knives, and now everyone's got Gerbers and whatever. Yeah, but uh, it, you know, going back in days, uh, uh, I could still do more with my mar my nice Marlin spike than right. I could do with just about anything. Yeah. Now, because you you have a lot more upper bay experience than I've ever even seen, you know. I think the farthest north I've been is yeah, my uh, my, <laughs> my my little uh, my little fishbowl has expanded. Your fishbowl has very much expanded. And here's a good question: What do you have a favorite harbor or cove? I absolutely love. If I was going to be doing a uh, just a, a little bit, uh, uh, maybe a weekend sail or something like that, I would definitely anchor in between Patience and Prudence Islands. All right. uh, it is an absolutely fantastic spot. There are spots you can get into there where you can't tell if you are somewhere on some completely deserted island uh, and you can't realize that you're in the middle of Rhode Island. Is that that one with that really tight little It's got a very straight. it's got a it's pretty much got a pretty tight channel that runs through it, but it opens up a little bit for any boat under Oh, say six feet of draft. There's plenty of room to uh, to drop a hook. Yeah, because the other side uh, of that is the Potter Potter's Cove. Potter's Cove is, is it gets quite busy. Lovely. It gets busy. Um, it's a very uh, a, a very popular little spot, um, and uh, but that's a nice little spot. I, I certainly go in there all the time. Um, but uh, but yeah, that can get a little. A little wild at times. Yeah, I've got a few places. I, I guess it's my age. I tend to prefer a place that's sort of quiet. You can anchor and watch the sunset and the birds tweet. And yeah, all that if I want to, if I want to carouse, I usually will tend to just carouse here at home in Newport. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's some great sailing here. I mean, just um, what you call the fishbowl between Newport and Jamestown, south of the bridge. Still the best. Still the best sailing I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. Okay, we've all met very interesting people on the waterfront. Do you have a favorite waterfront character? Well, I think we were just discussing one of my favorites. Um, uh, old uh, 12-meter hand by the name of Ross Cochran. Good uh, man. Who, uh, yeah, good guy. Uh, and uh, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the crowd from the, from the early 90s of fearless four-deck warriors... Um, he was a fixture. He was a fixture. Um, uh, lived in uh, Bristol Harbor on his uh, Pearson 35, uh, although would often relocate down to Newport with her. Yeah. Um, and he, uh, he really embraced the whole. He really scene. did. Um, I have to say, I had uh, I had uh, Ross on 
as guest crew on a number of occasions. And when the shit hit the fan, you wanted Ross around. Right. But the interesting thing was the shit always seemed to hit the fan when (laughs) Ross was around. Cause and effect there? Yeah, Yeah. maybe. (laughs) Or maybe he just had that... uh, had. Had that karm, karmic aura about him that, uh, not that he uh, had done anything to deserve it, but just attracted the drama. Um, it was from him that I learned that uh, most uh, most sailing stories begin with "No shit, there we were." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, he's he's definitely a character. I I've got a long list of them. I'll probably get through them at some point. But yeah, there's. He was definitely one. That, that is. It was a... Uh, we had a, a, a pretty amazing crowd on the harbor at that in those early 90s you mm. were you were a young uh, you were a young harbor master assistant i was a a, a young captain and uh, we had uh, quite the uh, quite a crew uh, it seemed like every boat had a couple of couple of good characters but on. they they really added to the the scene you know they really made yeah. it fun i i remember one incident where a woman called me on the radio they were dragging anchor so I responded, and I get there, and there's everyone's tending their lines and doing what they should be doing, putting out fenders, fending off. So there's really not a lot for me to do other than make sure that they relocated and, and got where they needed to go. But one of the guys on the foredeck of one of the boats was dressed as a woman from the waist down. And, you know, God love him. He, he did it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was, and it... it it didn't seem to bother the other people, and so was, uh, he. Uh, he uh, he unfortunately passed. He, away. he did. He recently just, passed. Uh, Clark, just this winter, local character, but what a great guy and uh, liverboard. There are a lot of interesting liverboards, and I think the rules have changed since I worked out there. And I believe now you can't camp out all summer. And no, I think you have to relocate after either fourteen days or it is two weeks. Days. Okay, yeah. Some, something along that line. You have to be gone for. Five or six days. And I guess when they first enacted the rule, they te- a few people were testing it. Instead of being anchored down by Ida Lewis, they would move up to the north of the Goat Island, uh, north of Goat Island, south of the bridge up near where I'm moored. But that didn't cut it with the harbor folks. And no, no. So they, now you, they I guess you're going to go up to Jamestown have, or someplace. They, you, you actually have to leave Newport Water. Right. So uh, yeah. I can see it from the standpoint of the city. Uh, but. As you say, cut down on a lot of great characters that we did have. I don't think we were anywhere near the problems that they have, say, down in Florida. No, no. Where people don't want to look at something outside their multi-million dollar home or whatever. There's that element of elitism. But here, it's just, I guess it was crowdedness. Yeah, well, it really was. There was really, with the number of people that we had permanently anchored in the anchorage, there was no room for anyone else to use the anchorage. Right. Um... Which you know it has there there are things to say for it, but boy, there were some good characters. Remember Sea Bear? Oh yeah, he built that boat. He he was a welder, and this was a a steel catch, and he built that in his yard somewhere in Massachusetts. I want to say Rehoboth or something. And yeah, he was a character. There there, there was a character. Uh, there there were quite a few in that era. Well, just to go back as we wrap it up here, um, how can people learn more about Save the Bay? So, Save the Bay, um, uh, best place uh, is our website, which is www. 
savebay.org. No the, just right. savebay.org. Yep. Uh, and from there, you can learn all about uh, our education programs, our SEAL watches, our lighthouse tours. Uh, learn about uh, uh, what's going on at, with our advocacy department, what's going on with our uh, volunteers. We have over 5,000 volunteers uh, that work with us through the year, uh, doing everything from cleanups to uh, uh, to actual uh, attorneys who work with us oh, right. uh, uh, when we need uh, that sort of help. Um, so it's a really is a member and volunteer uh, driven organization. Uh, our staff we only have about thirty full time staff, uh, wow. and that includes our education staff uh, who are constantly busy with uh, with kids and and camp groups and public trips. Uh, our aquarium down at Easton's Beach, and uh, uh, then the rest of the staff and. Uh, and our administrator, administration who works so hard to keep the lights running, uh, it's really uh, it's really amazing. But we couldn't possibly get it all done without our volunteers uh, and without our sister organizations that uh, helps out a lot too. Yeah, I didn't realize you did coastal cleanups. Of course, most of my awareness to save the bay comes through you and the swim. And but I, you know, I, I've done some cleanups with Clean Ocean Access, mm-hmm. and he. Puts out an alert and yeah, lots and, of people and, show uh, up. And, and uh, uh, Clean Ocean Access is a, a great example of one of our local uh, sister organizations. Uh, uh, they kind of have a more of a, a hyper focus on right here on Aquidneck Island, right? Um, but obviously the same basic mission. Um, so it's great for us because they can take care of a lot of the stuff here on the island. And we don't have to worry Focus about elsewhere. as much. Right. Um, Dave's on my list of, of people that I'd Dave's, like to have a Dave's chat. Dave's a great guy yep. um, and does great work. Uh, but uh, we are the actual, uh, there is a, a, a yearly event called the International Coastal Cleanup. Uh, and we are the administrators for that mm-hmm. uh, here, the coordinators for that. Um, so uh, Clean Ocean Access is great. And for that event... Uh, they stage probably 15 or 20 uh, cleanups here on the island. But uh, we probably stage, on the, in that same week, another 100-plus cleanups oh, wow. around the rest of the bay. I was shocked. and I've, I've only done it. Uh, I've only been able to do a couple with him. But I was just shocked at some of the things we pulled out. One of the ones we did was the moat uh, in and behind on the other side of First yep. Beach. I pulled a shopping cart out. And I'm... The, the nearest shopping place that has shopping carts is up at Bellevue Avenue, so I was really floored at that. that I'm quite sure there. how fast a shopping cart gets going down Memorial. <laughs> I don't know either. But it, it, it was both, you know, you felt good about doing something good, but it, boy, it was also depressing. Another one I did was along Wellington Avenue, and Dave McLaughlin of Clean Ocean Axe is very good. He gives you a nice sheet, so you, you tick off what you pick up, and... For some reason, I wound up picking up a lot of cigarette butts, and it was just a sound, and people don't realize, it, and it's so close to the water, and that those things last forever, you know. They, you know, it, that, it's that sort of carelessness that it really makes, it really is depressing, mm. but then you got to get buoyed up by the fact that there are some people out there who are working hard to clean it and up. And your volunteers we show up. We are starting to see... 
see some action uh, uh, on the legislative side. Um, here, we've already got bans in Newport and Middletown on single-use plastic bags. Yes. And it's small, yeah. but that's a huge thing. Oh, it is huge. I, I was surfing back in November, and I came ashore. It was one of the storms we had. The water was still warm. It was just a great day. And my leash felt like it was dragging as I came out of the water, and I had a plastic bag wrapped around it. Yeah. You know, people don't... There was a lot of debate in the in the media. Oh, we don't need that. How am I going to carry my groceries home? Well, how did you carry them home before? You know, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, uh, most of the most of the, the people that I've seen who have been against shopping bag vans, it's just their convenience that they're right. getting upset about, yeah. and that's yeah. not a legitimate reason. When you think about it, it lands in the water and then you think about how long it lasts and you don't need the or picture of this. how long does it last just in the landfill? Yeah, you don't need the picture of the sea turtle to, to tug at your heartstrings. You just, it's there. You it's know? there. It's, it's gross. Um, but it is only the tip of the iceberg. Microplastics uh, that are in products and we don't even realize that they're in there right, that flow right through our sewage treatment plants because our sewage treatment plants aren't set up to catch right. that sort it's, of they're thing. They're not going to screen those. Um, and uh, that's actually something that we'll be working. Um, there's a lot of research going into it around the world now, but uh, uh, we just acquired a, uh, a tow for that. So we'll be doing a lot of uh work looking at hot spots of uh, microplastics around the bay and around Rhode Island. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks well, for your thank time. Thank you, Chris. Great to see you. Great to share beer. And uh... Captain Eric Furman from Save the Bay. So you can learn more at savebay.org. O-R-G. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're on Friendface and Twitterverse and all those yeah, other all things. Yeah, all those yeah. things. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Instaspace or whatever they are now. That's it. I'm, I'm an old sailor. I don't know what they're really <laughs> called now, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.